Chapter Twenty of Traylon by Max Brand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Chapter Twenty. Joan. Them were the days when this was a man's country. Which a man could climb on his hoss with a gun and a rope and touch heaven and hell in one day's ridin'. Them good old days ain't no more. I've heard the old men tell about 'em. Now they've got everybody stamped and branded with law and order, herded together like cattle, ticketed, done for. That's the way the range is now. The marshals have us by the throat. In the old days, a sheriff that outlived his term was probably crooked and runnin' hand in hand with the long riders. Long riders? queried Bard. Fellers that got tired of workin' and took to ridin' for a living. Mostly they worked in little gangs of five or six. They was called long riders, I guess, partly because they was in the saddle all the time, and partly because they done their jobs so far apart. They'd ride into Eldara and blow up the safe in the bank one day, for instance, and five days later they'd be two hundred and fifty miles away stopping a train at Lewis Station. They never hung around no one part of the country, and that made it hard as hell to run em down. That, and because they had the best hosses that money could buy. They had friends, too, strung out all over, squatters and the like of that. They'd drop in on these little fellers and pass em a couple twenties, and make themselves solid for life. Afterward, they used em for stopping places. They'd pull off a couple of hold-ups, then ride off to one of these squatter places and lay up for ten days maybe drinkin', and feedin' up themselves and their hosses. That was the only way they was ever caught. They was killed off by each other, fightin' about the split-up or something like that. But now and then a gang held together long enough to raise so much hell that they got known from one end of the range to the other. Mostly they held together because they had a leader who knew how to handle em, and who kept em under his thumb. That was the way with old Piato. He had five men under him. They was all hellbenders who had ridden the range alone, and had their share of fights and killings, which there wasn't one of em that wouldn't have been good enough to go leader in any other crew, but they had to knuckle under to old Piato. He was a great gunman, and he was pretty good in scheming up ways of dodging the law and picking up the best booty. He had these five men, and then he had his daughter, Joan. She was better than any two ordinary men herself. Three years that gang held together and got rich, fair rich. They made it so fast they couldn't even gamble the stuff away. About a thousand times, I guess posses went out after Piato, but they never came back with a trace of em, never got within shooting distance. Finally, Piato got so confident that he started raiding ranches and carrying off members of well-off ranchers to hold for ransom. That was the easiest way of making money. It was also pretty damn dangerous. One time they held up a stage, and picked off of it two kids who was coming out from the east to try their hands in the cattle business. They was young, they looked like gentlemen, they was dressed nifty, they packed big rolls. So wise old Piato took em off into the hills, and held em till their folks back east could wire out the money to save em. That was easy money for Piato, but it was the beginning of the end for him, because while they was waitin, them two kids seen Joan, and seen her good. I've been telling you she was better'n two common men. She was. Which means she was equal to about ten ordinary girls. There's still a legend about how beautiful Joan Piotto was. 
tall and straight and big black eyes and terrible handy with her gun. She could ride anything that walked, and she didn't know what fear meant. These two kids seen her. One of them was William Drew. One of them was John Bard. He turned to Anthony and saw that the latter was stern of face. He had surely scored his point. Same name as yours, eh? he asked, to explain his turning. It's a common enough name, murmured Bard. Well, them two come out to be partners, and they was fallen in love with the same girl. So when they got free, they put their heads together, being uncommon wise kids, and figured it out this way. Neither of them had a chance working alone to get Joan away from her father's gang, but working together, they might have a ghost of a show. So they decided to stay on the trail of Piatto till they got Joan. Then they'd give her a choice between the two of them, and the one that lost would simply back off the boards. They'd done what they agreed. For six months they stuck on the trail of old Piatto, and never got in hailing distance of him. Then they come on the gang while they were resting up in the house of a squatter. That was a pretty night. Drew and Bard went through that gang. It sounds like a fairy story, all right, but I know fellers who will swear it's true. They killed three of the men with their guns, they knifed another one, and they killed Riley with their bare hands. It wasn't no pretty sight to see inside that house. And last of all, they got Piotto fighting like a wildcat into a corner with his daughter. And William Drew, he took Piotto in his arms and busted his back. That don't sound possible, but when you see Drew, you'll know how it was done. The girl, she'd been knocked cold before this happened. So when Bard and Drew sat together binding up their wounds, because they was shot pretty near to pieces, they talked it over, and they seen pretty clear that the girl would never marry the man that killed her father. Of course, old Bill Drew, he'd done the killing, but that wasn't any reason he had to take the blame. They made up their minds right there and then, with the dead men lying all around them. They'd match coins to see which one would take the blame for having killed Piatto, meaning that the other would get the girl, if he could. And Bard lost. So he had to take credit for having killed old Piatto. I'd have give something to have seen those two sitting there, oozing blood, after that matching was decided. Because they tell me that Bard was as big as Drew, and looked pretty much the same. Then Bard, he asked Drew to let him have one chance at the girl, letting her know first what he'd done, but just trusting to his power of talk, which, of course, didn't give him no show. While he was making love to the girl, she outs with a knife and tries to stick him. Nice pleasant sort she must have been and Drew had to pry the two of them apart. That made the girl look sort of kind on Drew, and she swore that sooner or later she'd have the blood of Bard for what he'd done, either have it herself, or else send someone after him to the end of the world. She was a wild one, all right. She was so wild that Drew, after they got married, took her over to the far side of the range and built that house that's rotten over there now. Bard, he left the range and wasn't never seen again, far as I know. It was clear to Anthony, bitterly clear. His father had had a grim scene in parting with Drew, and had placed the continent between them. And in the eastern states he had met that black-eyed girl, his mother, and loved her because she was so much like the wild daughter of Piatto. The girl Joan, in dying, had probably extracted from Drew a promise that he would kill Bard, and that promise he lived to fulfill. So Joan died, he queried? Yep and was buried under them two trees in front of the house. I don't think she lived long after they was married. 
but about that nobody knows. They was clear off by themselves, and there isn't any one can tell about their life after they was married. All we know is that Drew didn't get over her dying. He ain't over it yet, and he goes out to that old place every month or so to potter around the grave, and keep the grass and the weeds off it, and clean the headstone. The candle guttered wildly on the floor. It had burnt almost to the wood, and now the remnant of the wick stood in a little sprawling pool of grease, white at the outer edges. Bard yawned, and patted idly the blanket where it touched the shape of the revolver beneath. In another moment the candle would gutter out, and they would be left in darkness. He said, "'That's the best yarn I've heard in a good many days. It's enough to make anyone sleepy. So here goes,' and he turned deliberately on his side. Nash, his eyes staring with incredulity, sat up slowly among his blankets, and his hand stole toward the noose of the lariat. A light snore reached him, hardly a snore so much as a heavy intake of breath of a very weary sleeping man. Yet the hand of Nash froze on the lariat. By God, he whispered faintly to himself, he ain't asleep. And the candle flared wildly, leapt, and shook out. End of chapter 20